All right. We probably should get get started. The clock has hit half past. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the blessings you set before us, especially the blessing of your word this day, which reminds us of all of the great things that you've done for us and all of the great things you promised to do for us. Remind us always of your grace and your mercy, and lead us always to trust in you for all things. We pray this in your most holy name. Amen. All right, no microphone today. We, bl- we blew up the, spe- the stereo on Sunday. <laughs> So he, you know, he, I, I guess he has other things to do today. So. All right, so this is the this is the last time we're going to meet this year, which makes me sad. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but um, just to, by way of preview, we so we have all kinds of things we were talking about doing for next year. We had o- we had only so many weeks between Easter and the end of the year, so we. That's why we sort of decided on the Apocrypha. Maybe there's a chance we'll do some more Apocrypha in the fall. But there's a, there's a, there's a book um, we've talked about doing for a while by a, a fellow named John Gerhardt, Johann Gerhardt. He's a, oh, we, a, we studied. You studied one time. You did? Okay. One yeah, he has several. So maybe this is one that you haven't studied. We'll see. We'll have to check. I'll have to check because I don't want to do, <laughs> do it over again. But well, this one's called His Handbook of Consolations. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a, a wonderful book. So he was a... Uh, I should I probably shouldn't talk too much about him because I can go on and on. But he's he was a 17th century Lutheran theologian. Came the two generations after Martin Luther. Um, was part of the the theologians that really kept Lutheranism going. He was um, my favorite hymn, Awake My Heart with Gladness. He did a lot of hymns. But that, no, that's Paul Gerhardt. Oh, 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 Not I'm easily confused with John Gerhardt, but oh, okay. uh, but also somebody we should maybe yeah. study a little bit too because he wrote Paul Gerhardt wrote some fantastic hymns. Yeah. So uh, uh, Gerhardt um, is what most well known for this voluminous work of systematic theology, where he ta- where he takes every topic in theology and gathers scripture and quotes from the fathers and says everything about it. It's like I mean, it's fourteen volume. Like I can't stretch my arms wide enough to encompass how big it is. He's best known for that, but he is less well known for these fantastic devotional works that he wrote um, at a very young age, even at the age of twenty four. He had already been on his deathbed three times, and um, and wrote and and, and wrote um, some really marvelous stuff that is highly relevant uh, even today. Um, and this handbook of consolation, handbook of consolations, is a sort of a dialogue between the tempted and uh, the the the, um, the one who's providing solace. And so at each each lesson is, you know, something that a tempted person fears. Uh, I fear. You know that my works don't are, are, aren't good enough. My, that my works aren't sufficient uh, demonstration of my faith. And then he answers, he answers with scripture and comfort. It's it's fantastic. Um, so look forward to that. We might do that in the fall. Um, we'll see what happens. Okay. Do you have any questions? How was Bell and the Dragon? <laughs> you, <laughs> I don't know what to make of that laughter. <laughs> what was the take? What was the takeaway from Bell and the Dragon? If you were going to take something away from it, the fake gods are disappearing. Okay, perfect. Yeah, and and uh, I mean it's it's really kind of a clever a clever tale, right? Because what's the the first the first one is the statue, right? right. Obviously a statue, but then uh, the king is it Nebuchadnezzar? No, no. this is before Nebuchadnezzar. Um, he says. Uh, what about this dragon? You can't deny that this dragon is living, right? And Daniel has got this uh, a chemical prowess, and he blows up the dragon. Um, so and now this is, of course, you know, you, you recall these themes from throughout the Bible. What are some other stories where we see, where we, where we find out about the impotence of, of false gods and false gods being destroyed? Okay. What's the story? Well, um, Baal. Yeah. Or Baal was the god that they were worshiping. And Elijah proved that Baal was nothing, couldn't do anything, because he doubled down on them. Right. Um, you say your god can do this, but mine can really do it. Right. And he proved that God is God and no other yeah. 
God is real. And in fact, I mean, it's a great example. So the, very, the notion of worshiping um, something made with human hands is to the prophets just laughable. So it's laughable so that Elijah, when he's, when he's dealing with the prophets of Baal, just ridicules them, ridicules the God, their God, right? So he, they're marching around, beating themselves up, trying to get their God to rain down fire on this altar, and he says, what? Well, maybe he had to go to the bathroom for a little bit. Maybe that's why he's not, maybe he's resting, right? Maybe he's taking a nap. And really, I mean, when you think about it, it is, um, I mean, that kind of, that kind of, uh, that, that's, that's exactly the kind of ridicule that we ought to, ought to have for, um, for gods that are, that are made with human hands. I mean, how absurd to, to worship something that's made with human hands, right? Now, of course, um, the people of Israel fell into a, an alternate trap. They, uh, they wanted, like the, the rest of the nations, to have somebody that they could see. Because the problem with the Lord your God is that you can't see him. And so they said, well, at least give us a king, somebody that we can see. But even a king um, is going gonna, is gonna to run into trouble. Saul runs into all kinds of trouble. Even David, right? A man after God's own heart. Um, okay, now I'm going on and on. What other stories can you think of? Any other Bible stories you can think of? I'm sorry? The golden calf. The golden calf. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, and Aaron says it, and you can't believe that he says it. Behold, Israel, here is the God who brought you out of Egypt. Really? And it happens again. It happens again in uh, either first or second kings. that They build a golden calf and say, behold, Israel, this is the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Right? I mean, he also says, tell me why we threw all the gold in the fire and I Ouch. Yeah, right. It, when, when Moses says, what's going on? Aaron, Aaron's like, it just appeared. I don't know. <laughs> but, but it's, you know, so here's the thing to think about. And I, it, um, it's, <laughs> Aaron obviously is stricken in his conscience, knows that he shouldn't have done that. Um, and so he makes this excuse. And, um, but, but notice how easy it was for him to fall into the trap, right? So, by analogy, think about how easy it is for us to fall into similar traps, though perhaps not so crass as worshiping uh, a statue. Think about all of the things that we easily put our trust in, place our trust in, which when, when, you know, when asked, what are you doing? You're going to have to make up some sort of an excuse, right? right? Um, you trust in your health. You trust in your, 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 your money. You trust in your family and your friends more than God, right? Um, what are you doing? They're going to fail you. Right? Um, put, place your trust in God. Okay, other stories. But I just thought, but uh, with Aaron, it was the pressure of the people, you know? Uh, that, yeah, right. That I, he, perhaps that's the one time. Although that's his, that's, his, that's his job description, is don't give in to the pressure of the people. So <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think he, I don't think he gets a pass on this one. <laughs> Jan. The Philistines, I believe, took the ark of the covenant. Yeah. Yeah. And they thought, let's 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 try this again. So they yeah. stood him up. Next morning, he fell down again, and his head and his hands were. Broken off. I mean, it's just, it's great. It's great stuff. So this is all over the Bible, and um, uh, 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 we did with the kids on Wednesday at Pastor Chats uh, the the men in the fiery furnace, right? So King Nebuchadnezzar builds this ninety foot tall statue, and then says, "Hey, let's all." worship the statue. Um, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, that's, just, that's silly. Why would we do that? Um, now, now, that's a great story, to, as a great lead-in here, because um, that, book is, that, that story is in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. And one of the things that they say, they find themselves in a bind, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What are their options? When the trumpets sound... They can either bow down, and, and what, did, what, are the, what is the implication of bowing down? Yeah. Yeah, right. They're choosing the idol over God, right? Um, they're confessing uh, that, they, that, they, uh, that they trust in this idol more than God. What's the other option? You don't bow down. Okay. You get thrown in the fire furnace, which is, which is certain death. And in fact, their, their faithfulness is... is Exemplary because what they say um, is, look, we're not going to do this. Our God, uh, let me just read it to you. It's it's so interesting, um, and it's it's something for us to always bear in mind when we're when we talk about um, the kind of trust that we put in God 
to protect us in temporal matters, to protect us in earthly matters. This is what they say. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. So, one, God is able to deliver them, so they know that God can do it. um, The only question is whether God will do it. What will God do? Certainly deliver them from the hands of the king, right? Which doesn't necessarily mean deliver them from the fire, but it deliver them from their enemies, deliver that, vindicate them, justify them. Um, and that, I mean, that's a remarkable thing. Even if he doesn't save us from the fire, we're still, we still trust in him. That's pretty, that's pretty incredible. Um, so now, that's, that's a good leading for our story today. We've got Susanna today. Now, I printed out copies. It's only three pages long, and I thought maybe it'd be helpful if we were all reading the same version. Do you have any questions before we dive in, or any comments? This is your last chance to talk before the fall, so. Krista. Yeah, I just was thinking, um, because uh, the people wanted to see something mm-hmm. in their gods, or uh, just only to touch or whatever, is it that God then sent his son, that we can see the living God? Well, when you look at the son, what do you see? But, uh, but okay, so, that, so by faith you see the Father, but when you look at the Son, what do you see? You see a man, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. When you look at the altar, what do you see? Bread and wine. Um, so we, we don't put our trust in what our eyes see. And in fact, it's, 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 even, it's even as though God is pushing us, pushing us even harder. He's saying, you want to see something? Here's my Son. Here's, here I am. You look at him, you see the Father, and he's this pitiful man crucified died and buried, right? Um, because what, what, we, what we see with our, with our human eyes is not, what, is not what's real, right? Um, or it's not, it's not all that's there. Marilyn. Yeah. Daniel's story. Um, the, the three men that were thrown in the fiery service for furnace, they would rather have God than have life. Yes. And this morning when I was driving over here, I heard about 80 Christian... 80 Muslims who were baptized. Not only did they confess God, but then they were baptized. They're in the refugee camps. Yeah. And there are people within the refugee camps that they would probably be killed because they confessed Christ and yeah. were baptized. Yeah. But to them, it was better to die a Christian than to remain where they were. And that just really struck me that today people are in the same position to choose who mm-hmm. you serve. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we are so sheltered in many ways, right? Because um, the, we, we, in your confirmation, confirmation vows, we ask you are, you, are you willing to suffer all, even death, right? Which, when, I, when we ask that to a 14-year-old, I always think, that is some heavy stuff. But of course, it's the very same kind of question that we are asking in baptism when the little infant can't really answer for themselves and uh, it's not because of their own strength, but because of the faith that, that God has given them, right? I mean, those, 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 those 40 converts, um, they're doing a crazy thing. They're doing something that's foolish, utterly foolish, upside down. Um, and you can't, do, you can't do that unless God's working on you, right? You can't do it unless God's got his hand in it. Okay. Anything else? All right, let's do this. I'm going to read... The 64 verses of Susanna. And then, um, what I want... So, as, as, as has been the case in the past, there are all kinds of other Bible stories that you can think of um, and refer to while we're, while we're doing this story. So, think about that, and um, we'll talk about it after the story. Now, this is... A, raise your hand if you read the story. I just want to see how many of you read. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's fast-moving. It's a little bit racy. Um... <laughs> So, but just stick with me, okay? There was a man living in Babylon. So this is at the time of the Jewish exile in Babylon, the time of Daniel. The man's name was Joachim. 
And he took a wife named Susanna, the daughter of Hilkiah, a very beautiful woman and one who feared the Lord. Her parents were righteous and had taught their daughter according to the law of Moses. Joachim was very rich and had a spacious garden adjoining his house, and the Jews used to come to him because he was the most honored of them all. In that year, two elders from the people were appointed as judges. Concerning them, the Lord had said, Iniquity came forth from Babylon, from elders who were judges who were supposed to govern the people. These men were frequently at Joachim's house, and all who had lawsuits came to them. When the people departed at noon, Susanna would go into her husband's garden to walk. The two elders used to see her every day, going in and walking about, and they began to desire her. And they perverted their minds and turned away their eyes from looking to heaven or remembering righteous judgments. Both were overwhelmed with passion for her, but they did not tell each other of their, of their distress, for they were ashamed to disclose their lustful desire to possess her. And they watched eagerly day after day to see her. They said to each other, Let us go home, for it is mealtime. And when they went out, they parted from each other, but turning back, they met again. And when each pressed the other for the reason, they confessed their lust. And then together they arranged for a time when they could find her alone. Once, while they were watching for an opportune day, she went in as before with only two maids and wished to bathe in the garden, for it was very hot. And no one was there except the two elders who had hid themselves and were watching her. She said to her maids, Bring me oil and ointments and shut the garden doors so that I may bathe. They did as she said, shut the garden doors, and went out by the side doors to bring what they had been commanded. And they did not see the elders because they were hidden. When the maids had gone out, the two elders arose and ran to her and said, Look, the garden doors are shut, no one sees us, and we are in lust with you. It's a good pickup line. So, give your consent and be with us. If you refuse, we will testify against you that a young man was with you, and this was why you sent your maids away from you. Susanna sighed deeply and said, I am hemmed in on every side. For if I do this thing, it is death for me. And if I do not, I shall not escape your hands. I choose not to do it and to fall into your hands rather than to sin in the sight of the Lord. Then Susanna cried out with a loud voice and the two elders shouted against her and one of them ran and opened the garden doors. When the household servants heard the shouting in the garden, they rushed in at the side door to see what had happened to her. And when the elders told their tale, the servants were greatly ashamed for nothing like this had ever been said about Susanna. The next day, when the elders gathered to her husband, Joachim, the two elders came full of their wicked plot to have Susanna put to death. They said before the people, Send for Susanna, daughter of Hilkiah, who is the wife of Joachim. So they sent for her, and she came with her parents, her children, and all her kindred. Now Susanna was a woman of great refinement and beautiful in appearance. As she was veiled, the wicked men ordered her to be unveiled, that they might feast upon her beauty. But her family and friends and all who saw her wept. The two elders stood up in the midst of the people and laid their hands upon their, her head. And she, weeping, looked up toward heaven, for her heart trusted in the Lord. The elders said, As we were walking in the garden alone, this woman came in with two maids, shut the garden doors, and dismissed the maids. Then a young man who had been hidden came to her and lay with her. We were in a corner of the garden, and when we saw this wickedness, we ran to them. We saw them embracing, but we could not hold the man, for he was too strong for us. And he opened the doors and dashed out. So we seized this woman and asked her who the young man was, but she would not tell us. These things we testify. The assembly believed them because they were elders of the people and judges, and they condemned her to death. Then Susanna cried out with a loud voice and said, O eternal God, who does discern what is secret, who is aware of all things before they come to be, you know that these men have borne false witness against me, and now I am to die. Yet I have done none of the things that they have wickedly invented against me. The Lord heard her cry, and as she was being led away to be put to death, God aroused the Holy Spirit of a young lad named Daniel, and he cried with a loud voice, I am innocent of the blood of this woman. All the people turned to him and said, What is this that you have said? Taking his stand in the midst of them, he said, Are you such fools, you sons of Israel? Have you condemned a daughter of Israel without examination and without learning the facts? Return to the place of judgment, for these men have borne false witness against her. 
Then all the people returned in haste, and the elders said to him, Come, sit among us and inform us, for God has given you that right. And Daniel said to them, Separate them far from each other, and I will examine them. When they were separated from each other, he summoned one of them and said to him, You old relic of wicked days, your sins have now come home, which you have committed in the past, pronouncing unjust judgments, condemning the innocent, and letting the guilty go free. Though the Lord said, Do not put to death an innocent and righteous person. Now then, if you really saw her, tell me this. Under what tree did you see them being intimate with each other? He answered, Under a mastic tree. And Daniel said, Very well, you have lied against your own head, for the angel of God has received the sentence from God and will immediately cut you in two. Then he put him aside and commanded them to bring the other, and he said to him, You offspring of Canaan and not of Judah, beauty has deceived you and lust has perverted your heart. This is how you both have been dealing with the daughters of Israel, and they were intimate with you through fear. But a daughter of Judah would not endure your wickedness. Now then, tell me, under what tree did you catch them being intimate with each other? He answered, Under an evergreen oak. And Daniel said to him, Very well, you also have lied against your own head, for the angel of the Lord is waiting with his sword to saw you in two, that he may destroy you both. Then all the assembly shouted loudly and blessed God, who saves those who hope in him. And they rose against the two elders, for out of their own mouths Daniel had convicted them of bearing false witness, and they did to them as they had wickedly planned to do to their neighbor. Acting in accordance with the law of Moses, they put them to death. Thus innocent blood was saved that day. And Hilkiah and his wife praised God for their daughter Susanna, and so did Joachim, her husband, and all her kindred, because nothing shameful was found in her. And from that day onward, Daniel had a great reputation among the people. It's a great story, isn't it? So in um, Latin versions of the Bible, um, you'll, you'll find this as Daniel chapter 13. It's at the end of Daniel. And so like the, one, of the, one, of the, one of the reasons for it is to tell us about the, so the wisdom and stature of, of Daniel. But what do you think about the story? Go ahead. Tell me, tell me what's on your mind. One of the reasons, okay, so one of the reasons it's left out is because it was, uh, we don't have a Hebrew version of it, and one of the criteria that was used to determine authenticity was whether it was written in Hebrew or Greek. And one of the reasons why I know we know it was originally composed in Greek is because um, the so you, the, there's this pun that takes place. The two puns. The one man says, "I saw them under a mastic tree," and Daniel says. Um, Daniel says, you will be cut in two. And that's a play on a Greek word. The word for mastic is similar to the word for cut. And the same thing is true of evergreen oak that's similar to the word for saw. And so, um, and so the folks who were deciding you know, whether or not, uh, whether or not we, could, we could rely on this to um, relay the, the, you know, tru- the truth about Israel said, well, it was composed in Greek. And so it must have been. It must have been a later story, a later edition. Um, it also seems like it should have been near the beginning of Daniel, not the end. Maybe that yeah. establishes him as somebody to be listened to. Right. Right. Or maybe he was already established. Yeah. I mean, so there, the, so there's much material, much, much apocryphal material about Daniel that just sort of circulates around the story that we have in Daniel one through twelve, and. These were all stories that would have been known, would have been known to not only the Jews but also to the Christians up to the to, to Christians up to the middle of the uh, like the up to the 15th century, 16th century. They would have they would have known these stories, whether they regarded them as scripture or not. You know, wasn't such a big such a big deal, but they knew the stories at least. They knew them. They knew them as at the very least as, as sort of folklore, as as important. Um, Important stories, and the early church fathers, in fact, so for instance, take take Bell and the Dragon, for instance. The early church fathers saw the value of that story one in its in its literal sense, telling us about um, the discernment of Daniel. Right there, he's discerning again, and um, and the and the the strength of God over against these false gods. But even more, um, the early church fathers saw it as an allegory, saw it as a, a foreshadowing of. Christ, where they read it Christologically. So, um, if you were going to if you were going to draw a parallel, 
when Daniel throws the ball of tar and pitch and hair into the dragon and the dragon consumes it and the dragon's exploded, can you think of a way to interpret that Christologically? Chrysostom did. How? How? How do you blow up the devil? Okay. Let's be more graphic. On the cross, who swallows, who gets swallowed up by the grave? Jesus, right? And, and, uh, and the grave, Satan thinks that he has won, thinks that he's consumed, you know, that he's won the victory, right? Um, but then, right? Um, so, so at the very least, um, because these stories fit within the tradition of um, the, the Jewish uh, understanding of the messianic promise, what God was going to do for them, um, it's, in, it's entirely possible for us to read them Christological, reading them point, pointing ahead to, to Christ. Um, I mean, one of the one of the challenges is whether or not that it actually happened, right? And so, since it was written in Greek, we have reasons to doubt that maybe it actually happened the way that that it says. Jan. Yeah. Now, why do you need so? Why two witnesses? Yeah, the law of Moses, right? You have two witnesses, and in fact, that you saw you saw it acted out very precisely. They put their hands on her head, right? This is something that happens also. Um, you know, this this symbolic putting your hand on the head of a guilty party, I'm trying to ask the right question. You got it. Who's it? The scapegoat. Yeah, on the Day of Atonement, the priests put their hand on the head of the scapegoat, who then bears the sins of people out into. Uh, Azazel, right? Out into the wilderness. Um, good. Great. What else do you think? It reminds me a little bit of Esther and the woman caught in adultery. Okay. Perfect. Continue. Well, in 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 just in in, in Esther, she knew that uh, her life was at stake mm-hmm. when she was going to go to the king. Yeah. For what was false witness against someone else. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So hang on. So think about this for a second. The woman caught in adultery. How does that story go? Can you, can you? You without sin throw the first stone. Let's start back at the back up to the beginning of the story. Oh, well, the, the leaders or the, whoever, the judges, the, yeah. the men brought her and. Wanting to test Jesus. When, that she was caught in adultery. Yep. What do you and say? And then when he asked or said that. Yeah, the oldest to the youngest. Right. Or realizing maybe a little bit both. Right. Yeah. So they, they, they ought to be these righteous judges. And that's that's true in this case as well. What's okay, so keep keep this in mind for just a second. Um the story of the woman caught in adultery. John said, let me just read it real quick. Just so, just so you, it's short enough. Um, I, want, I want you to think about how it relates. And this, I think, is one of the crucial, one of the crucial ways to um, interpret Susanna is through the lens of John's, John 7. Um, John 8. John 7 and 8. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, 
This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, who are they? where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, what's the difference between that story and the story of Susanna? The woman was guilty. She, she, was, was, a, she was committing adultery. Susanna was totally innocent. Totally innocent, she yeah. She hadn't done a thing wrong. She was set up by the elders because of their own... Yeah, yeah right. And I mean, In a way, she, guilty that she may be, this woman is also set up. Okay, okay. Sure, that's sure. That absolutely. So it is a setup. That's good. I hadn't thought of that. Um, uh, but in terms of think of it in terms of her guilt, though, what is this? If you're comparing the two stories, think think about how Jesus so frequently says, "You have heard it said, uh, but I tell you," right? Can you can you do that with these two stories? Do you know what I'm asking? Do you know what I mean? What's what's cha- What's what's new about the New Testament? Sure. So those, those men and Jesus, who do you say the men really were guilty? Yeah. That's that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, so in in I mean the story is the story is reversed and and the justice justice is carried out against those those men. But if you're following, the, but you heard it said. Mm-hmm. This was a story known by. The Right. When? What was said about Susanna? That she was guilty when she was not. Okay. But in the New Testament, there is someone who is guilty, but she is not. Okay. Perfect. So let's, yeah, sure. All accusations are made by men and elders, people of authority, where the women really are little. That's true. Yeah. I mean, that, that is a, culturally, it's a, it's a. They were trying to get Jesus. Right. Um, so. Perfect. So uh, let's get there. Hang on to that thought for just a second. Um, you, you, you said it well, Carol, and I want to refine this just a little bit. So um, what we, we, we could say this. You have heard it said about Susanna that if you are innocent, God will vindicate you. Right? But I say to you, What? Yeah, yeah. If you if you are guilty, I will advocate for you. I so so um, Daniel advocates for Susanna uh, because justice is being perverted, right? Jesus advocates for the woman caught in adultery. Why? Yeah, because he's compassionate, because he's merciful, right? Because his innocence is hers. Um, and uh, so I mean it's. It's true to character of how the Old Testament, uh, how the New Testament takes takes the old and accelerates it and brings us to, brings us straight to Jesus, right? So, um, if we were stuck in the stuck with the law of Moses, then you would have to be innocent like Susanna. You'd have to be this pure, chaste, um, faithful woman in order to be defended by Daniel. But in the New Testament, Jesus says. You can have my purity, my faithfulness, my chastity, right? Krista. I thought uh, with the um, woman in that lottery um, that uh, Jesus had, um, he just con- con- um, convinced the others that they are uh, guilty, you know, because they didn't throw a stone and everybody uh, went away. So because Jesus said, "Who is uh, who uh, is uh, without sin?" Right. So they went away yeah. convicted. Yeah, he was. That's yeah. right. And uh, uh, here with Susanna, they were just um, they were righteous. 
um, the, uh, the, uh, the judges, um, I think when Daniel wouldn't count, she would be. That's right. Yeah, they would, they would not have been convicted of, of, yeah. of their sin, right? And that's what Daniel says. Look, it's all coming, coming home to roost right now, right? Um, everything that you've done. And, and it, so this is another, another important vantage point for us to look at Susanna from, um, is, is the important role of these judges. So, surely you pointed out um, how uh, there's this sort of this uh, oppressive quality to I mean, Susanna doesn't have a voice in the story, right? She doesn't have a voice. Um, and meanwhile, these men, the judges, the elders who are appointed as judges, their single purpose in, in life, right, when you get appointed a judge, is to be just, <laughs> right? And um, it, it's a great... It's exemplary for us of what happens um, to our uh, uh, to consciences and hardened hearts. Hard when hearts are hardened, right? Because you saw you saw it happen in real time, right? Take a look at it again, the beginning of the story. I mean, it's it's grave to me. It's it's it's, it's tragic because this is actually how it works. Um, they the two elders used to see her every day, going in and walking about, and they began to desire her. Right? When desire springs up, what should you do? Push it, push it down. But they perverted their minds, and look, and it's so sad. Turned away from the, their eyes from looking to heaven or remembering righteous judgment. So everything falls to pieces, right? Everything falls to pieces. And I mean, it's, it's, this is you, you know, they're talking about lust here, but we could talk about any vice, right? Any sin. Um, think of another example, something else. Um, yeah. Right, right. So, so you begin by um, desiring it, and then you dwell on it, and then you fi- find ways to justify it, right? And then, I mean, th- th- even further, this is, this is why this is such a great uh, story. Um, what's, the, what's sort of the final straw that gets them, that, makes, that pushes them over the edge to becoming um, hard-hearted? Yes, they get together. Nothing better than to be in the company of somebody who... Is, is vicious like you, right? Um, th- uh, th- this is how our consciences work. So um, our, we, our consciences tell us that uh, one of the ways we can see whether or not we're in the right is if we uh, are acceptable in the eyes of other people. Well, if the people that you choose to be, in the eyes of, be seen in the eyes of are people who are just like you, wicked just like you, in the same way, if you can find somebody to commiserate with you, somebody who shares your same demons... Um, and who and who and who doesn't speak God's word to you, but instead, is, is, you know, um, it, it's, you know, delights in it with you. Uh, that's a that's a bad boat to be in, man. Aaron. Well, it just makes me think of like living in our culture. It's like the norm is is basically like selfish ambition. Like right. Power is just everybody wants power yeah. and success. Yeah. And as Christians, it's not really that different. Like if you look at other Christians, we live kind of the same way. Right. Thinking about career, and you look around and you're like, well, everybody else is doing the same thing. Right. And so, if, if, yeah, it it feels normal, right? Yeah, it can't be so bad. Right. Right. Yeah, Donna. It said they were ashamed to disclose. Yeah. So they. And so Good. the earth comes confession. They right. knew they were not supposed to be doing this, but. Yeah. I mean, isn't isn't it a remarkable? I mean, it's the narrative there is is like you can just see how this plays out. This is how sin works, right? It, um, and this is where this is where confession and absolution are just invaluable, right? Because what? So um, if now, unfortunately, this is the, this is the reason why Israel got, got in so much trouble so frequently is because their judges were perverse. Because their princes and their, their kings were perverse. Because they sought after me, the, the advice of men rather than God. Right? It all began when God brought them into the promised land and, they, and he said, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And uh, here's a prophet for you, by the way. Listen to the prophet. And they said, well, we don't want that. We want a king. Right? And then the king screws everything up. Right? Um, but this is, the, this is the way sin, sin actually works. Um, you, you start by... Uh, with, with with a guilty conscience, with a conscience that could um, confess, a conscience that's afflicted. God's law speaking in your in your heart, telling you that you're at odds with God. And so you come you come to a pastor, you come to 
uh, an elder, you come to um, the priest or you, and you say, I've sinned, and what happens? I forgive you, right? I don't, I don't, I don't say, uh, better shape up. I say, I'm so glad you told me. Um, you're right, that's terrible. I forgive you. Um, but but the, that's how that's the one of the, the sort of tra- uh, the things about shame that's uh, that that it works against us. You know, when our consciences put us to shame, what we should you should do the opposite of what you think. Okay, when you're ashamed, you should come to church. All right, when you're ashamed, you should come to church. Uh, you should come see me, Marilyn. Well, this story is like. This didn't just suddenly happen to them that they were good men and then all of a sudden they were right. evil. Right, yeah. They knew the difference between right and wrong, but it makes me wonder, all the people that they judged previously, were they truly compassionate? Were they forgiving? Did they really make the right decision? Yeah. Or how many other people did they wrong? Right. It's kind of like they probably had a previous history of what's in it for them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, in fact, I think that I think that, that comes out explicitly in the story, right? Um God said about them, iniquity came forth from Babylon, verse 5, from elders who were judges who were supposed to govern the people, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so now here's the other, another, one of the true, the tragic true things about this story is that justice is not done in this world, right? So Susanna's petition um, is for herself, but it's also a petition for for justice generally to be served, right? Because, I mean, nothing, nothing, I mean, it saddens God desperately when, when there are unjust judges. This is what he says all throughout the Old Testament. The prophets, the prophets are always, always decrying the unju- injustice of, of, the, of the princes. The widows and the fatherless are not, not cared for. That, um, that the priests serve their own bellies rather than serving the people, right? Um, and so, I mean, really, this, it's a great call for us to pray for justice, too, right? Becoming, I mean, because what you see, interestingly, so the, Susanna's in the same position as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How did she describe it? Do you remember? She said, I am, I, well, basically, yeah, I am hemmed in, right? And this is so interesting. Look at what she says, verse 22. I am hemmed in on every side. That's, that's the language of, uh, of David, of this yeah, of the Psalms. I'm hemmed in on every side. Um, but then listen to what she says. For if I do this thing, it is death for me. If I am unchaste, it is death for me. And if I do not, I shall not escape your hands. Right? So where is death for her? In doing the, in doing the wrong thing. I mean, if she doesn't escape her hand, their hands... That's no, I mean, that's, that's terrible. Um, it's, it's unjust, but it's not death. She's going to die, but it's not the death that she's afraid of. Right? Um, so, and then she says, I mean, pray that you can say these words. I choose not to do it and to fall into your hands rather than to sin in the sight of the Lord. Uh, because th- this, I mean, again, one of the tragic truths of the story is that you get hemmed in, right? You get hemmed in, and so if you do it, it's death for you, and if you don't do it, you fall into their hands. Um, that's, I mean, it's, it's, that's, that's hard. <laughs> that's really hard. Um, and that's, that comes with the territory of being a baptized Christian, and that's why, um, that's why prayer is, is our sort of our last resort, right? That's all she, that's all she can do. She can pray. And she prays. Notice what she prays. Um, Verse 42. This is so so interesting. What what would you expect her to pray? Save me, right? Save me. Okay? She says, O eternal God, who does discern what is secret, you who is aware of all things before they come to be, you know that these men have borne false witness against me. And now I am to die, yet I have done none of the things that they have wickedly invented against me. What's her concern in that prayer? Yeah, she wants God to know that she didn't do it, right? She doesn't, I mean, 
it doesn't, she's not praying that, that justice be done um, right there and right now, but that, that God knows her innocence. Um, it's, uh, it's, a fantastic, it's a fantastic prayer. Okay, now I've been going on and on. Do you have anything? Because she didn't have uh, any witness. Right? She, uh, yeah, she, I mean, she, it was a losing case. Yeah, she and went up there and, um, yeah. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, she had, she had not, no, no chance to win an argument, right? Well, I think she's still appealing to God, even though she doesn't bend for her life. I think she just wants, Jeff, wants the comfort of God or something. Yeah. Wants something more. Right. So uh, she, says, I'm, she says, for I'm going to die. Right, so she wants she wants God to to see her tragic estate, um, that she's going to die, and to recognize that she's innocent. Right, what God does with that, who knows? Maybe He saves her, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say. Maybe He doesn't, but in either case, God knows. Right? And the people knows too. Yeah, she she prayed it aloud. She cried aloud. Right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would want my husband to know that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It doesn't sound like he stood up for her. I don't think he was there. He was away. Right? Um, they were looking for an opportune time. She was alone. And then the next day, yeah. Yo, yeah, right. So, so now he. So it is, it is interesting because he doesn't. What can he do? It's the witness of two elders, right? And, yeah. and they are judges. Too. And the judges. And yeah, yeah, Aaron. So when Daniel kind of Daniel sort of like scolds the people though for not looking into that. Right. So I mean, it sounds like they did go about it the wrong way, despite the fact that there were the two elders. Is that true? I wonder, um, and yeah, so it, it is surprising because what? Yeah, what does Daniel say? Um, are you such fools, you sons of Israel? Have you condemned the daughter of Israel without examination and without learning the facts? Return to the place of judgment, for these men have borne false witness against her. Now, they so they trust the judges, and the question I suppose is whether or not they should trust the judges. We know, because we have this, uh, this omniscient viewpoint, right? We know that the judges are unfaithful. But the people all suppose that the judges are reliable, right? Reminds me of um, the crowds at Jesus' trial. Yeah. In that leaders say, crucify him. Right. Follow the leader. Right, right. Yeah. Elders are bad too because they should be keeping a watch over their judges, shouldn't they? You would think and so. They appointed them. I mean, in the in the church, elders are given that responsibility to be sure if they hear false doctrine, they need to or think they do, they need to. Yeah, yeah. So in this case. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, maybe that's a, that's an angle of the story that. Uh, we should we should think about it a little bit more because um, yeah, what's what's I, I would I would I was inclined to think of Susanna as an image of perhaps an image of the, of the church and Joachim as an image of Christ who receives his bride undefiled but maybe maybe Susanna's more of a of a Christ figure in the story who who is willing who is willing to or who suffers innocent innocently this unjust reproach. Roberta. Isle, uh, verse 57 makes you wonder how many other women they break. Yeah, yes. right, yeah. And, and so, I mean, so, so Daniel, Daniel does this because the, whole, the Holy Spirit is, so God heard, hears his cry and God arouses the Holy Spirit of a young lad named Daniel. Um, so it, it could well be, it could well be, and this would not be surprising, it could well be that everybody knew that these guys were not so good, right? Like, um, you know, you know the story of Eli and his sons. Okay, uh, what are their names? Um, yeah, Hophni and Phineas. They, the terrible, right? They would um, take the best portions of the sacrifices for themselves, 
and they would sleep with the young maidens who were serving in the temple, right? Terrible. Uh, and, and there's no hiding that. Like, you just, I mean, it's, you, know, you know that that's happening. And Eli knew it was happening, um, and that's what God tells us. I mean, we always think of the story of God calling Samuel as being this, this, kind, of, this kind of sweet story where God tells Samuel that he's going to be a prophet. But God tells Samuel, Eli and his sons are going to die. Or, or at least his sons. I think Eli, Eli doesn't. He, yeah, he does later. Interestingly, Eli falls backwards off his chair, not when he finds out that his sons are dead, but when he finds out that the ark has been stolen from Jerusalem or from the, from the battlefield because the people of Israel took the ark out and said, surely God will fight for us if we have the ark out here. And God says, forget that. I'm going to the Philistines. Um, okay. What, what, uh, we probably should wrap it up, huh? Anything else we need to say? Thank you. Yeah. 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 I really appreciate um, the chance to, to talk about this with you. It's just, it's just fascinating stuff, and it's a really um, it's it's fun to dig it a little bit deep, a little bit deeper. Oh, well, there's, there's one more. Um, while you're thinking, while you're thinking about it, while your thoughts still linger on it, so think about uh, carry carry this thought with you. Um, there's another another story that's similar in the Bible. Joseph and Potiphar's wife, right? And Joseph of all the Old Testament figures is uh, most Christ-like, most Christ-like especially when in his pronunciation of forgiveness for his brothers, right? He says, who am I to judge you? Um, God, has, God has done this. You, wrought, you thought, sought evil for me, but God has uh, worked this out for good. So in this, in this story, um, see Christ in Susanna, but then also note the difference, right? So every, every, uh, every analogy limps, right? Um, what's the difference? Uh, Christ dies, right? He dies, and, um, and in dying at the hands of the unjust judges, he forgives them, and he brings forgiveness to the whole world, right? Um, I mean, to me, this is just, just a great launch pad to get, us to, to get us to the cross. So you read Susanna, and you think, and you, you, you learn all kinds of things about yourself and about humanity and about God's relationship with his people, and then you see Christ, Right? Who, I mean, the, the, the whatever, what, however we said it, you have heard it said that you have to be innocent. If you're innocent, you'll be vindicated. But I say to you, um, you can have my innocence. Right? That's, it's, it's wonderful stuff. Okay, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.